Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. So I got to confess, I hate the song that the band just played. (laughs) Out of the entire John Mayer catalog, it is my least favorite song. Uh, But I called Michael on Thursday and asked him to play it. And the reason I did uh, was not for me, but because of the message of the song. And the reason that I hate the song and the reason I asked the band to play the song is because it speaks to this helplessness that I feel a lot of times when I look at the world around me. And I, I guess if I'm being honest, the helplessness I feel is something that I don't like to feel. And so I don't like listening to that song because it reminds me that most of the time in life, when I look at the problems of the world, I feel pretty helpless. And so I do what the song says and I just wait. And I sit there and I hope that somebody smarter, more capable, more powerful than I am steps up and does something. And so I'm actually really glad that we're starting this new series called The Good Work because the goal of this series is to remind me and to remind you that even though there are situations in the world and in our world that feel too big to solve, that there is a work for us to do and there is a role for us to play in making a difference in the problems and in the pain and in the hurt that we see all around us. And I think one of the reasons that, especially as we look through scripture, that we might feel disinclined to believe that we can make a difference is because of these terrible children's Bibles that we read to our children when they're growing up. I don't know if you have these, but every story paints these characters as heroes. They've got six-pack abs and bulging muscles, and they are always able to be successful in whatever story they're navigating. And so we look at these pictures of these children, or in these children's Bibles, and we interpret what happened in these stories through the lens of, well, if I was like them, then I would have been able to do that, but I'm not like them. I'm not a hero. I'm just an average, ordinary person. And so we assume that the Bible stories are only meant for people who are in the Bible, and it's not actually all that relevant for us today because we're just a mom, or we're just a dad, or we find ourselves in middle management, or we're still in school much later than we thought we'd still be in school, and so we select ourselves out. We don't feel like we have a lot of opportunity to make much of a difference in the world around us. And so it's a good thing that we're looking at this series in this book of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is just like you and I. He is an average, ordinary, nothing special about him person that ends up having an extraordinary impact on the world around him. Now, Nehemiah finds himself kind of as an administrative assistant to a very powerful man. Some of you have had this role before. You've had access to sit next to somebody who's really powerful, and you had no power at all. And that's what Nehemiah is. Nehemiah, as we'll see in scripture, is this term called the cupbearer. Basically, he made Starbucks runs for the king of Persia long, long ago. But it's not that he just made Starbucks runs, but he would go and get the drinks and then he would stay in the room oftentimes while the king was meeting with powerful people. And so Nehemiah was highly trusted 
to sit in on these very exclusive, top secret conversations. So if the king of Persia was making plans about when they were going to go to war next or who they were going to bring up on charges, Nehemiah was in the room for all of this. But Nehemiah had a really important role in his Starbucks runs. As often was the case back then and in some countries still today, uh, it is in some people's favor to remove the current leader and replace them with a different leader. And so one of the ways that they would do that is they would try to poison the drink or the food of the king or the person in charge at that time. So not only was Nehemiah really trusted to be in the room during these really important conversations, but Nehemiah was asked to taste the latte before the king drank the latte because if somebody put something in the latte, they wanted somebody who was disposable to suffer the effects of that poison as opposed to the king. So you can imagine if you're Nehemiah and you have access to these rooms and these conversations, but your job is to taste the wine before the king gets the wine and in case there's poison in the wine and you die instead of the king, you'd probably want some really good life insurance with this job. You'd want to make sure that there was a lot of security in your role. But this is the situation that we find Nehemiah in. Nehemiah is this average, ordinary person who ends up, as we'll see over the next several weeks, doing something extraordinary. Now, not only is it good that we're going to be talking about it on Sunday mornings, which is why it's important that you're here on Sunday mornings, but this is also something that I think matters for our individual daily lives, which is why we're going to read through this story of Nehemiah together as a church. And so whether this is your first time here or you come each and every week, we hope that you'll join us. Whether scripture reading is a habit that you have in your own life or you just kind of keep a Bible in the drawer in case somebody asks you if you have a Bible and then you can pull it out and say, yeah, I've got one. We want you to read scripture with us. We think that there's something powerful that will happen in your life as you begin to read these stories. And we're going to try to guide you through it and do this together in a way that doesn't just throw you into the deep end and says, good luck, which is why we chose Nehemiah as opposed to Chronicles or one of these other books. So we're going to get started with the story of Nehemiah. Like I told you, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and he is in the king's palace when some guys approach him with some news about some people that Nehemiah cares about. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with some other men from Judah. Now, here is a pastor pro tip when you're reading scripture and you come to words that you can't pronounce. Do it with confidence and nobody knows the difference. It's like dancing. The most confident person on the dance floor is considered to be a good dancer, whether or not they're actually a good dancer. If when you're reading these stories and you come to something, just say it loud and proud or read it loud and proud to yourself and nobody will question you. They'll be like, wow, he's, they're really educated. She really knows her stuff. So it's a confidence thing as you read this scripture. So these people come to Nehemiah who's in the Persian empire serving the king and they've got some news about some people from Judah. And so Nehemiah asked them about the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. Now, what we need to know about this story that Nehemiah finds himself in is that this is happening in a very specific and important period of time for the Jews. This is a group of people who lived in a city called Jerusalem, 
But then in the year 586 BC, the Babylonian empire came in, destroyed the city, knocked down all the walls, destroyed the temple, and then took all of the Jews about 700 miles back to their capital in Babylon, which is kind of modern day Iraq. This would be like for us, if Canada came down to Texas and they marched into Dallas and they knocked down the ball and they destroyed the AAC and they chained us all up and we had to march all the way back up to Canada. And then we spent the next 150 years living in Canada, learning the customs, trying to be as polite as they are and have the, you know, the dialect that they do and learning all of the French language stuff that they have to do. And what we would want most is just like some chips and salsa and queso. We would miss the things that we love. We would miss the things we love about Texas, the mild winters where it gets 40, maybe. We'd miss all of that. And we'd think back to Texas and Dallas and all the things that we loved about living here and being here. And we would long for an opportunity one day to go back. Well, this is what happens to the Jews. About 100 years later-ish, about 50,000 Jews go back from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, this is what it looks like. So they pulled out their phones and they said, Google. How do I get from Babylon to Jerusalem? And this is what Google told them. He said it'd be about 700 miles. And it would take you about 235 hours, which if you walked 12 hours a day would take you like 20 days. That's a lot of walking. And I don't know if they walked for 12 hours. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this is where they went from back to. And when they went back to Jerusalem, they found the city that they loved destroyed. The walls were knocked down, the temple was destroyed, and so they tried to rebuild their city and start over again. But they weren't successful. They had obstacles and problems and opposition. And so some of them returned back. They made the trip back the other way. They just flipped the directions in Google and they came back to Babylon. And this is what's happening when these men come to Nehemiah and to talk to him about their family, their friends, their relatives, the people that they know who went back to try to make a go at it. And this is what they told Nehemiah about it. They told me, those in the province who survived the captivity, they're in great trouble and shame. The wall around Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now for us, this doesn't mean much because we don't have city walls and city gates around our cities. But back then, this was really important because the only way that you could protect yourself from outside enemies, other countries, armies, robbers, bandits, was to close the doors and lock them at night. Turn on the alarm and trust that nobody could get in. But if you don't have any city walls and you don't have any city gates, Anybody who wants to come in and mess with you can come in and mess with you. It's like parents, about the time your, your child turns 12, 13, 14, they start to ask and wonder if they can get a lock on their door. I don't know if you've had this happen to you yet. It'll probably happen if you don't have locks on your door already. I was a more um, 
kind of self-starting child, and so I just went to Home Depot by myself when I turned 16, and I just bought a bunch of <laughs> locks for my doors, and I just replaced all the hardware in my bedrooms. Um, this is what's happening. They want the ability to lock the door. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, sometimes it happens up here. But they want the ability to protect themselves, and they can't protect themselves because they don't have any walls, and they don't have any gates, because it's all been destroyed by the armies that came before. Now, if you've never been to Jerusalem, or maybe if it's been a while since you've seen a photo, this is what it currently looks like. And so this isn't what it looked like then, but it's close enough for our time together this morning. You can see kind of the outline of that square surrounding the city. That's the walls of Jerusalem. That's not the exact walls that existed back then, but that gives us an idea of what they were trying to accomplish. And if you see that gold dome, the dome of the rock, that's about where the temple Solomon's temple used to be. So all of this gets destroyed. All of the important buildings get knocked down. All of the walls are destroyed. And the people come back to Nehemiah and they say, you won't believe it. The city's a mess. Like the walls have been destroyed. The gates have been burned. The temple's destroyed. And that temple was really important to the faith and the culture of the people at the time because the temple, the way that they understood it, it was the only place where they could access God. It was in that building where their God, who had promised them so many things, existed. So you can imagine the psychology happening as an army comes in, destroys their city, and destroys the one place where they have access to their God. You can imagine the thought process that they're having, wondering, what does this mean about the God that we believe in. I thought our God loved us. I thought our God was good. I thought our God was powerful. How could God let this happen to us? It might be the case that you had some of those same questions this week when you saw what happened in our city. When you saw what happened in our neighborhoods and to your friends and to your family. These are the same psychology, the same emotions, the same things that are going through the minds of the, of the Jews at this time. Wait, this is the one place we can access God, and now we can't access God. And not only can we not access God, but we don't even have a place we can live because we've been in captivity for 100 years. And when we come back, the city's destroyed, the walls are destroyed. This is what's happening. This is another picture of what the walls look like of Jerusalem. Totally demolished. And so, hearing this news, this is Nehemiah's response. And my guess would be, if we were in his place, this would probably be our response. When I heard this news, I sat down and wept. For some of you, maybe this week was a week full of weeping. Or if it wasn't actual tears, it was internal tears, overcome by the grief and the emotion of what you were seeing happen in our city. Maybe for you it wasn't this week. Maybe for you, you sit down and weep when you see what's happening in the world around us. The children that die every day of starvation or lack of access to clean water. The people that are bought and sold into sex slavery. Maybe it's those type of problems and challenges that you hear and experience that you sit down and weep. But this is the first thing Nehemiah does. He's confronted with the pain of the world around him. And he sits down and he weeps. But maybe some of you are like me and you come across these stories and you scroll through social media 
and you hear about this stuff, but you feel powerless and you feel like you've heard so many versions of pain and suffering that happen in the world that you just kind of get a little numb to it. And so you don't sit down and weep because, well, there's gonna be another one next week. And another instance, the week after that, and there's always something wrong with the world. I don't have enough tears to sit down and weep about all of the pain and suffering that I feel. And so you just ignore it and you move on. I think for us, including myself in that, there can be an unintentional hardening of our hearts if we never sit down and weep. If we never slow down enough to pay attention to the pain and the suffering that happens, whether it's in our immediate world or the larger world, I think that we can become too numb to what's going on. And so if we're ever gonna find a way to participate to make a difference, to make a change, to contribute to the good work that God is calling all of us to do. The first thing that all of us have to do is we have to sit down and weep. Now that's not an artificial, forced, <laughs> like trying to make yourself cry, thinking about something sad that happened in your life when my parents got divorced. No, it's just being open to the things that are actually going on in the world. Because my guess is there is something that moves you. There is a pain, there is a suffering that exists that does stir your heart. Something that's just hard to stomach, that you feel some internal motivation to do something about, even if you don't know what it is or how to do it. But I think that we have to do a better job of listening to that and asking God to reveal that. It is not for a lack of opportunity. I think it's mostly about a lack of awareness. And I'm as guilty as anybody of that. So the first thing that we have to do if we want to be like Nehemiah and participate in this good work is we have to sit down and we have to weep. But that's not where Nehemiah's story stops. Nehemiah doesn't just stay in a place of weeping, but he does something next. Praying before the God of heaven. This is Nehemiah's immediate next move. He sits down to weep. And after he's done weeping, he kneels down to pray. And he says, praying before the God of heaven, I said, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, you are the one who keeps covenant and is truly faithful to those who love you and keep your commandments. The temple was destroyed. Their city was in ruin. This was the promise that God had made to them. This was the fulfillment of the covenant that God had given them hundreds of years before. And so Nehemiah, in a sense, is reminding God of the promise that God made all those years ago. And he says, God, you're the God of the covenant. There's a relationship between us. Help me understand what's happening here. How could you let this happen? But God, you're awesome and you keep your covenant. And so there's probably something to this story that I can't see. You are the God who keeps his promises. But there's a lot of pain and hurt happening right now. So let your ear be attentive. God, hear our prayers and see our needs. Not just mine, of your servant, which I now pray before you night and day, but also for all of your servants. God, my prayer is this, 
that you'd hear my prayer, but you'd hear the prayer of all of those who are suffering from this, for all of the people impacted by the storms. Do you hear my prayer to, for the change that I wanna see in the world that I wanna contribute in? But God, for all of the people who are suffering, God, hear our prayers. Because God, we know that weeping is for a moment. There is a time for that. But we believe that we serve a God who is capable of acting and responding to the needs of this world. And so God, in a sense, we're reminding you, but we're reminding ourselves that you are bigger than all of the problems that we experience. You are capable of all of the pain and all of the suffering. You can do something in these situations, God. And so we're praying that you act and that you move. The first thing Nehemiah does is he sits down to weep. But the next thing that Nehemiah does is he kneels to pray. And so for those of you who are overcome with grief because of the pain that you are seeing in the world or in this recent week, the next step is talking to God about it. Because it's easy for us to stay in a place of just mourning, of bemoaning the fact that there's all of these terrible things that happen. But if it's big enough and important enough to cry about, it's big enough and important enough to pray about as well. And so are you? Are we actually taking these things to God? Or are we operating on an assumption that God's got other things more important than to hear our prayers and to listen to our needs? God hears all the prayers. And he knows all the needs. And I think what he wants for each one of us is to spend more time talking with him about the pain and the suffering that we experience and that we see. And to ask him to move and to act. That's what Nehemiah does. But that's not the last thing that Nehemiah does. Not only does he weep and not only does he pray, but then he allows God to use him. And just shortly after this, in the very next chapter, Nehemiah has an opportunity to do something else. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, this is the king of Persia whom Nehemiah serves, the king was about to be served wine. I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I'm assuming he tasted the wine before he gave it to the king because that's his job, but he took the wine, tasted the wine, gave it to the king. And since I had never seemed sad in his presence, the king asked me, why do you seem sad? You're not sick. I guess the king was empathic enough to know. You must have a broken heart. And I was very afraid and replied, may the king live forever. And then he tells him why he's sad, why he has a broken heart. Why shouldn't I seem sad when the city, the place of my family's graves is in ruins and its gates destroyed by fire? You're right, king, I do have a broken heart. My heart's broken because the people that I love and care about, the city that's my people's home, where my family is buried, it's destroyed. And it grieves me. It bothers me to my core. And I just can't shake this feeling, king. And so God, working through the king, asks, what is it that you need? 
Okay, I hear what you're saying. What do you need? And this is what Nehemiah says back. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me. Send me to Judah, the city of my family's graves, so that I may rebuild it. This is the last thing that Nehemiah does. He steps up and he stands up to act. He's not just confronted by the pain and the suffering that he sees about the people who are struggling in Jerusalem. He doesn't just mourn what's happening in the world around him, but he begins to offer those prayers to God and say, God, do something in this world. Begin to move and act and to create change in the city, in these people's lives, God. And God, I also know that the way that you operate and work in the world is through your people. So God, King, send me. He stands up to act. There is so much that we could contribute to in our lives. So much hurt, so much pain, so much suffering, so much need all around us. But my guess is we all stop short of one of these steps. Maybe you're like me and you just need to spend more time sitting and weeping to be confronted by, to allow yourself to feel the pain that's happening in the world around you. Maybe you've just become numb. But maybe, maybe you feel all that and you just don't know what to do next. And so the step for you is to actually get down on your knees and to pray and say, God, here's why my heart's broken. Here's why I'm burdened. Do you see what's happening in the lives of the people that I love and care about? Do you see what's happening across the way? Do you know about all of the pain and suffering that's happening in this location or that location, God? God, this, it hurts my heart and I want you to do something about it. But God, I'll also step up and contribute. And so maybe you just need to take action. Maybe you've cried and maybe you've prayed, but maybe you need to raise your hand and say, all right, God, send me. I'll go, I'll serve, I'll give. I'm willing to be a solution to this problem that I see, knowing that you are working in and through your people. There's a whole lot more to this story than what Nehemiah does next. But we'll get to that in the coming weeks. But this week... particularly because of what's happened in our city, my guess is all of us need to do one of these things. And I don't know which one you need to do. Maybe you just need to go for a drive because you live in a part of Dallas that wasn't affected and you take your kids to a school that wasn't impacted and so you are never faced with the reality of what's happened. Maybe that's where you are. You just need to get in your car and navigate the city and see the suffering that's happened. Maybe you are well aware of what's gone on. Maybe you've been immediately impacted or someone you love and care about has been immediately impacted. Maybe you just need to spend some time talking with God about it, to share what's on your heart, to complain, to grieve, to mourn. 
Or maybe you've done both of those things and it's time for you to stand and act. And I know there's a variety of ways that you can help. But maybe you just need to start figuring out how you can help those who've been affected. But not only is it relevant for this week, not only is it relevant for us individually, but I think Nehemiah's story is relevant for us as a church. As a church, we have to pay attention to the larger world, to the things that happen in the city and identify all of the ways that we could be used by God to make a difference. And so over the coming weeks, we'll talk more about that and what that looks like. But I hope as you leave here, if I've been able to do any one thing this morning, it would be this. That you would feel like the problems that you see aren't too big for you to do something about. Even if that something about is just to mourn over them. Or even if that something is just to pray to God for them. Or maybe it's even to stand up and to act and contribute to them. You do not have to be like me in that John Mayer song and get frustrated because you can't make a difference in the world. There is a good work for all of us to do. And I can't wait to talk with you more about it next week. So, as we close our service, I'll invite you to stand. I'm going to say a prayer for us and for our time together, and then we'll share some words. But I hope as you go from this place, you will leave encouraged that in the midst of the pain and the suffering that we see, that there is hope. That we serve a God who is great and mighty and strong and who is actively working in the world, particularly through each one of us. And then as we leave this place tomorrow morning, you're going to have an opportunity to share in the scripture reading plan with us. I hope that you'll do that. I hope that you'll take that step, that you'll opt in for the emails, and that you'll begin to read the story of Nehemiah. It is a story of hope, and it gives us a model and a blueprint for how our lives should pattern after Nehemiah's so that we too can participate in the work that God is wanting to do in the world. All right, let me pray for us. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for today and this opportunity to be here in this place, to come together to be reminded that you are greater than all of the pain and the problems that we see, that you are still at work in this world in the primary way that you act, in the primary way that you work is through us. So God, empower us. Empower us to go and to serve and to help and to love and to be your hope in this world. God, we love you and we're grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.